1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson
2: and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman the take command podcast from odyssey sports i am craig hoffman he is logan
3: paulson happy snow day logan happy snow day man my kids are stoked man they're gonna be going crazy today so
2: i'm sure uh i it's the snow i don't feel like driving in it so i'm probably not going to ashburn at two o'clock to to meet adam peters but uh that is when he will meet the press today two o'clock as we record this on tuesday morning so if you're listening a little bit later and you're like hey It's almost 2 o'clock. Turn your radio over to 106.7, the fan or the Team 980, and we will have Adam Peters' press conference live, of course, starting at 4 p.m. I will be on your radio on the Team 980 with full reaction, or uh, if you happen to be listening to this after all of that and you want to hear uh, the the press conference, you can rewind in the free Odyssey app, or you can check out the podcast of Chris Russell's show or of Grant and Danny. Uh, for the presser, and of course, my reaction to the Hoffman Show podcast feed. All right, that is enough of the housekeeping. Let's get right to it. And Logan, people did hear some of what we had to say on this over the weekend, as you joined the show on Friday, and we put that here in the Take Command feed. But high level, um, we'll, let's let's kind of recap a little bit. They got Adam Peters. Yeah. We talked about three weeks ago. This this feel, felt incredibly unlikely because we all thought Peters, and the kind of the word around the league was Peters is going to stay in San Francisco. He didn't hesitate. He came here, he signs a five year deal, and uh, he didn't even interview anywhere else. I I think that's a big, big deal. Like, no matter what happens, I think this is a major, major win for Washington just on those facts alone.
3: Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I think we're all really excited. And when you talk to people familiar, I think, you know, uh, the relationship and understanding of what the new ownership was going to be for him here, I think, and what that opportunity would provide, I think, is. And it's something that we talked about. It's something everyone in the area has talked about, but I think it's a big deal. You know, I think having that new ownership group in and having people that are, you know, that at least for the first year with Ron have abided by their word and done the right stuff and are not going to be, um, you know, super uh, kind of hands-on, you know, like it's their team. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Meddlesome. Like, you hate a Meddlesome owner. I think that's a big deal. I think that's a huge deal for a guy who's looking to kind of spread his wings and leave a great situation in San Francisco. So obviously, like I think he's got, we, we're going to talk about this probably more. He's got a lot of work to do in terms of kind of roster development, roster evaluation, and, and building this thing back up. But I think it's an exciting opportunity uh, to get him here, a guy that, you know, by all account, like literally anybody you talk to has only positive things to say about him in terms of his professionalism, his talent evaluation, like his skill and talent evaluation, and and his experience. So I think it's a great hire. And obviously, does that mean we're gonna you know win the Super Bowl next year like Houston or win a playoff game like Houston? No, but I think it's it's a good foundational piece. That's and again, it's like one of those things where, like I'm super process driven. You're super process driven. This is good process. Getting a good candidate getting him in the building, getting him hired, and getting him to move out here from San Fran and leave a winning organization. So I think it's, I'm really excited. And again, it's the first piece. There's a lot of other things that need to fall in place, but um, good good start to the off season and good start for Josh Harrison and the leadership group here.
2: Yeah, without question. By the way, later in the show, we will take a look at all the playoff games for the weekend and kind of glean some things off of them in terms of team building, for instance. So uh, we'll yeah. talk about some of that work to do as things go and as well as obviously the head coaching hire but I think you know, with Peters, like this signifies Washington is back as a crown jewel organization. Like does that mean he's going to succeed? Absolutely not. And obviously if all of a sudden we're five years from now looking at Josh Harris sideways and like, you know he's the next David Tepper, like we're in a, we're in a bad spot still and and the glean and the shine of the organization will be again, potential and, and sleeping giant and all that kind of stuff versus you know what we think of it right now. But again, even if he is, if, if Adam Peters turns out that assistant GM is where he belongs, that is the highest step on, on the ladder, that when he goes and runs his own ship, it doesn't work. The fact that they got him to sign here before they even he was even willing to go interview anywhere else, that Black Monday was Monday and they hired him on Friday, tells you what people think of this organization. And, yeah. you know, I had Scott Pioli on the show on Friday. Uh, Scott actually hired Adam. Uh, for his first job in New England, so some cool stories there. But he talked about how you know he grew up a New York Giants fan. This is a guy that you know built the the first part of the Patriots dynasty along with Belichick, and he has so much respect for Washington as an organization. And I and I think that's a credit in large part, Logan, to the fans. Like yeah. the fans, many of whom were like, "I'm out as long as the Snyder fellas here." Came back, and we saw you know the party that we threw with the radio stations, the the Burgundy and Soul party. We saw the sellouts early in the season. People saw how people showed up for that. And and the history obviously speaks for itself. And I think that's part of the appeal. Like, it just is. And, you know, of course, the ownership group itself matters. And if Josh Harris was Josh Harris and and had all these partners and went and bought, I don't know, the Carolina Panthers, um, a team that is barely, actually not even 30 years old yet, it was was founded in the early 90s and started playing in 95. Um, Like, would he have left... San Francisco for Carolina with the same owners, maybe. But I think that this, like that little yeah. bit of prestige, that that element of this sleeping giant of a fan base and what D.C. is as a city, like it matters. And and I think that, you know, when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, for instance, right, and you watch the the games over the weekend and Tony Romo's the, the A announcer on one and Jimmy Johnson's on the pregame show and, um, you know, Troy Aikman's the A announcer on the other. Like, if you're something with this organization, with Washington, you can be that, too. You know, because also, like, RG's uh, uh, on the Monday Night Show. And, yeah. you know, for a long time uh, in the early 2000s, like, Joe Theismann was the lead analyst on Sunday Night Football. And, like, I think if you're Adam Peters and you're trying to build this thing back up, you know that if you succeed on, to the level that you want to, like, you become an NFL legend. And that's pretty freaking cool and something that will peel you away from a place in San Francisco. Or, by the way, it's kind of the same thing.
3: Yeah, no, I think you said everything there, right? I think it's it's the, it's the prestige. Like I heard uh, somebody say this, I think it was Bram, Bram Weinstein was like, you know, basically you get the opportunity to be bronzed, you know, like you get to be the opportunity to kind of get everybody, get this organization, get the city back on track. And I think there's a hundred percent merit to that. And I think uh, it's, is it an easy job? Absolutely not. But is there an opportunity here to do something really, really special, get supported by, uh, I think, and I think we can't overstate, you know, you said, oh, like he doesn't go out and interview for other positions, right? I think you got to give credit to the ownership. I think they understood what it was going to take to keep him here. I think financially they understood what it was going to take to keep him here. They made that happen. I think that's all important to understand. And, and, and so great job by them, but it's also like this job is a big deal, you know, like you get kind of a clean slate and there's very few times where a GM gets a clean slate like that. You know, you have all this cap space, you have all this draft capital, you have the second overall pick. And, you know, usually you're going to jobs like where it's like, I don't have all these resources. I imagine taking the job out in LA right now with the Chargers. They have zero cap space. They're not really picking high in the draft. Like it's a mess. And I don't, you know, but here this, this opportunity, like from a logistics standpoint, from an opportunity standpoint, from an ownership standpoint, just seemed like the right fit. And I think that's why, you know, he, he does leave, ultimately does leave San Fran and, and the opportunity looks like a, like a good one, you know, but again, I I think it's important to just acknowledge Josh Harris and, and that group's commitment. To understanding who they were dealing with and making sure he was in the building
2: yeah can you imagine if you were like a house flipper and you had to spend 6.1 billion dollars on a house and then you had to pay all the money to actually renovate it because that's kind yeah. of what josh harris is doing but right. um it's a good reminder that while josh harris uh, obviously spent a lot of money on all of this this ownership group is worth 50 billion dollars and yeah. uh that makes it a lot easier to pay adam peters and pay the head coach and pay their staffs like money's not going to be an issue here, even though they just spent $6.1 billion on the team um, because it is, well, it is magic Johnson and Mitchell rails and, and Josh Harris predominantly. Um, there's all those limited partners that they can pull cash from if they want to. Um, and that, that becomes really important because there, a lot of those folks are like, you know, worth over $10 billion and just bought a tiny piece. But it's like, Hey, we need, we need a uh, whatever million a year to, to get Adam Peters and someone's like, okay, I'll go search my couch cushions. It must be nice. <laughs> um, on the football side of it, um, I think what I really love about Peters is like he helped build the San Francisco team, helped build the Denver team before that, yeah. the New England team before that, um, you know, kind of the best teams of of the last, you know, 25 years. He's been yeah. a part of uh, Denver went to obviously two Super Bowls with Peyton and, and that was a big part of it, but that was a good team. Like that was a great roster, yeah. that New England roster, um you know that he helped build obviously he was a much smaller part of that way down the, the ladder at the time but you know he helps find some of the guys that that helped them go into that 2007 season right um, yeah. That they they're the best team in the league and they actually don't win the super bowl because um, they get upset by the Giants and then obviously is a huge part of the San Francisco but there's a toughness to all of those teams even the Denver teams like we remember them as the Peyton Manning Super Bowl teams but there was a toughness to those teams and how they played that is exactly I think what you and I have been talking about the past couple of weeks uh, of what's been lacking here and also what wins currently and and forever in the NFL despite how Uh, the league has changed schematically or pass run, emphasis on this, emphasis on that. That toughness always is the through line, and, and he's built tough teams before, and I think that's really exciting.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
3: Yeah. And I think like, you know, we'll talk about this more when we talk, when we review the playoff games, like we just discussed. Like, I think there is, there's so many qualities that those, that those really good teams have. Like, they're tough guys love football. They've found really talented pieces. And the other thing is they seem to be really interwoven with the coach's vision of, of what, of what the expectation is for the team. And so I think that's something that, again, like it's going to be tough. And I think, you know, everyone's like, well, what's he going to do with the second overall pick? What's he going to do in free agency? I think that conversation, if I, based on what people have said about him, you know, it's not going to start in earnest until the head coach gets here. Cause you got to understand what the coach's vision is and if that aligns and how you kind of supplement and find pieces to fit that. So I think that's going to be a huge part of, of the, of the team process, but yeah, like, the toughness in San Fran, especially this year. Like, I mean, it's almost like they've, they've they've flipped a gear. They're like, man, we, maybe that's the addition of Christian McCaffrey. I don't know. But like this, this commitment to running the football, playing violent defensively, um, you know, talk about, you know, what the, you talk about what the, um, what the Denver Broncos were. I mean, offensively, they were pretty flash. They had a lot of explosive plays, but defensively they were awesome. In terms of being a physical, tough downhill tackling group, and uh, again, like that fits the vision of that team at the time. And so, but even think-
2: even offensively, like Demaris Thomas was a big, tough son of a gun. Like Emmanuel Sanders, like as a tough yeah. slot receiver, like that's what I think of when I think of a guy like Emmanuel Sanders who was a part of that team. Julius Thomas, yeah, yeah. their tight end, like they there was again, it's not like the physical brute toughness that they had defensively, but there there was there was still a toughness mentally and kind of approach wise to them that I think was pretty, pretty present.
3: And I guess that what I'm saying is I think offensively, that's more reflective of Peyton Manning, you know, Peyton Manning at the time in terms of his offensive vision. But again, like they found the pieces, right. To make that all work together and you got to get the right personalities. You got to get the right people in there. And I think that's ultimately like what you're looking at. Like, I think Houston this year is such a fascinating case study. And we'll talk about that more later, but again, finding tough pieces finding young pieces, developing young pieces. And when you look at all of those teams, there's a lot of talent developed in-house. Like I look at San Fran, you got George Kittle, and I, George Kittle was going to be good from day one. Like I was there with him his rookie year, and I was super impressed the second he stepped on the practice, with, just like this dude's got it. But for how good he got, like how the development that they saw there, Brandon Ayuk's development there, Debo Samuel's development there, some of those young offensive linemen, the defensive line, the linebackers, Fred Warner's development. Like it's – you're getting the right pieces but then also having the ecosystem to develop those players and i think that's why like gms are a really important hire right that talent evaluation is so so critical but making sure that fits in a structure where those guys are going to develop is is pretty outstanding so again like it's so early with 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 adam peters and all what he's going to do but I think the next big step is the one I'm kind of most, he's probably going to talk about today at the press conference is, is the coach and, and what he's looking yeah. for and, and the vision for that. So
2: um, in the NFL, how much of player development is on the GM front office and how much is on the coaches? Like how much of it is structural? Cause I, I I've looked at this more in the NBA, um, but it's something that I've definitely thought of more recently in the NFL. And I don't feel like I really know the answer. I also feel like it probably changes organization sure. organization to an extent, but like in the good ones, How much of that is the head coach structuring practice a certain way that young guys get reps or whatever versus kind of it coming down from on high that like this is a priority and here are the the pieces in place uh, and the resources to make sure that we actually develop our young talent?
3: That's a great question. You know, in terms of like who's who's making that uh making that assertion making that assessment you know like when i was in um when i was in atlanta for example you know something i always associated with dan quinn was like we had like a youth period at the end of practice where if you wanted to stay you could do they would go through like team run script or seven on seven script and they would throw the football around a little bit and get everybody who wasn't playing for the weekend reps reps in in the offense and I think like and the coaches would stay out and they would coach those guys and you know maybe that was the GM's prerogative at the time you know Scott Pioli was on that staff and like that's something I know Belichick does a lot of or he was he's kind of notorious for doing Uh, but again I don't know and I think like whatever it is I think having a coach that understands the importance of talent development but also I do think like that's a great point I never even thought about it that the GM could be like, hey, man, like, let's make sure player X is coming along the way we want him to come along, I think is an extremely valid point, you know, and I think, like, in San Fran, for example, that that to me is Kyle, like that, that youth development is Kyle, because of Kyle's attention to detail. But I also think it's just good sound football process. And I think like, in in this Adam Peters, led organization, football organization, I can't, imagine it not being a huge part of his vision in terms of hiring the coach like getting someone that understands how important that is is going to be paramount because again look at all the teams in the playoffs right now like Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers, even um, the LA Rams to a certain extent like they are developing young pieces at a very very high level so that you're not leveraging these free agent decisions these draft decisions too crazily so I think like yeah finding and I don't know the answer to this but Whatever that is, whoever's leading yeah. that ship, I'm sure it'll be like a, you know, like a good, uh, a good opportunity to kind of just say, Hey, like if I'm hiring a guy, if I'm Adam Peters, hiring a coach, that's something I want to prioritize in addition to a myriad of other things. But yeah, I think right. that's, that's a great point, Greg.
2: Um, and it's something that in the NBA is different because they have like play, they literally have like a player development staff. Like they have player oh, really? coaches. Yeah. Um, and it's a part of the staff where it's like, you know, and, and every, Every player in the NBA has their own assistant coach. Um, now, like, obviously, assistant coaches have multiple guys, so it's not like a one to one ratio. Right. Um, but it's like three to one, maybe, um, or one to three. Seriously, like, it's, that's yeah, incredible. Because the way the staffs have grown over the years. And so you have. Like with the Wizards, there's a guy, you know, Zach Guthrie is one of their assistants and Zach works with like three or four of the guys and like he'll work with Denny Avio one-on-one and they watch tape and like, he's kind of responsible for Denny's development. That's cool. And you know, you see, uh, that, that in really good organizations, young players develop and, um, Oklahoma City is kind of notorious for this, but whether it's watching tape or whether it's the individual skill workouts that happen pregame or at practice or, you know, on a whatever, on an off day or, a, you know, they have like a a detailed, tailored development plan for what they want, workout plans and stuff for how they get there. The, those player development coaches like and, and they could be assistant coaches who like work during the game as well. So in many ways, it's like your position coach um, mm-hmm. in the NFL, but they also are working in conjunction in good organizations with the front office for like this long-term plan and the wizards have talked a lot. And obviously like no one really wants to hear about the wizards right now because they've just lost to the Pistons and there's the worst team in the league. And like the wizards are the second worst team in the league, but like long-term they have all these very advanced metrics and very specific things that they're working on. And those are front office driven. And I think Mm -hmm. that if you, you know, could apply some of those same concepts to the NFL, I think that would be really interesting. And like, you know, you look at a wider, like for instance, one of the, the things they're tracking, and I promise I'm not going to get on a basketball tangent here, but like they're tracking percent rebounds that Daniel Gafford grabs. So mm-hmm. their center, when he's on the floor, does he get 20% of all available rebounds? Mm-hmm. And could you take something like that that is non-score related, very individualized to a wide receiver? You know, do you win 68% of your routes? Right. do you you know as, as a pass protector like do you win x and like do you have a plan to make sure that the, sk- the individual skill development is there and it's hard because in the NFL there's 53 a plus practice squad 90 in the off season when most of the year happens by the way um you know versus 12 to 18 uh, of an NBA roster with G League guys two way guys whatever um so yeah it's just I'd I'd be fascinated to talk to a coach or a GM about that in great detail because I think the level of detail is certainly not as high in the NFL, but that's not, it's not because they're dropping the ball. It's because it's so much harder with 90 guys versus 18.
3: Yeah. And you know, like when you're talking to people at the combine, you know, scouts, uh, GM front office people, like they do use those metrics in their evaluation, but I think it's interesting, kind of a compelling thought. Like, could you find coaches that are good at saying, Hey, like we really value separation rate for receivers. Like that's a thing we want to like really pursue in terms of talent evaluation, but is there anybody that can develop those skill sets here? Right. Right. Develop those opportunities here. And like, uh, you know, talking with previous staffs that have been here, previous staffs I've been on, like, they do have interesting kind of more traditional development process. Like, you know, like when people say, Oh, let's get the guy to play special teams. There's something to that. You're kind of building a toughness of mentality when the guy plays teams and then transitions to something more, but could you do something more specific, right? We mentioned like the post-practice stuff. And again, like that's, you're just running through practice. You're coaching the offense, right? But what if I said, Hey man, we got this young guy, he's 6'5", 240. We want him to see if we can kind of develop him as that F tight end what are some specific things we can track with regards to that individual and again I, I'm sure there are some teams that do variations of that but I don't yeah. think anything as specific of that and that's really cool to hear the basketball thing and I think like that I think that's something that definitely could be implemented not maybe at a at the scale you're talking about in the NBA but kind of more like hey man, like this is our practice review and instead of saying oh you know this guy ran the wrong route it's like his separation percentage was x today and we're really we're really fired up about that we got to keep that going in terms of encouraging that skill set so potentially yeah for sure
2: yeah um definitely definitely would be interesting but i also think to your point like some of that just comes from the coaches themselves making sure that they coach the young guys as hard as right. they coach the guys who start because right. nfl coaches are right here right like they're what's right in front of me how how can we win today um and if you're kyle Shanahan and you're so detail oriented that when you have your youth period, you're just as locked in as when, um, you know, just as locked in as when you have, uh, your starters out there, then that's going to obviously help develop players as well.
3: Yeah. And I also think like finding those guys that are very coachable and like fit your culture is a thing. Like, you know, they were talking, I was listening to a podcast today talking about the Detroit lions. And I think the thing about the Detroit lions is so interesting is they've got a whole bunch of guys that are passionate about football. And when you get guys that are passionate about football, it doesn't really matter how good they are at football. But if they're super passionate about it, like they will get better. You know, and I think yeah. that's something that people often overlook, you know, in the scouting process. And I think the teams are getting better about identifying these guys. But like how much do they love ball? And like it is a thing and it's a thing that lets you say, hey, this guy is, is this now, but he lives, breathes, eats, sleep football and become super passionate. I was talking to somebody um, at the last at the last combine at the last combine. Yeah, that's right about development and what he looks for. And he's like, obviously, you look for height, weight, speed. But the thing that I look for probably the most is how much do they love football? Because if they love it, they're going to develop. And I think that there is a lot in terms of how, what you're looking for in terms of evaluating guys and getting those guys in the building to say, this guy is not the fastest guy, not the strongest guy. He's kind of middle of the pack from these measurable standpoints, but. He comes in the building at 6 a.m. in college and he's studying tape and he's going to get better and he's going to fit our organizational identity. And I think that's where you, you've identified somebody as a GM, right, or a talent evaluator that has the, has the, the, the foundation in place to, to develop in some of those areas, which I think is, is, again, like it's talk about the role of a GM. Like that's a huge part of it as well. So
2: no doubt about it.